Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Sports Science at Swansea City Football Club, Johnny Northeast. This episode of the Pacing Performance Podcast is sponsored by SimplyFaster.com and that's spelled S-I-M-P-L-I Faster.com. So alongside the free lap timing systems, SimplyFaster.com currently holds the eccentric K-Box. So if you haven't heard of the K-Box, it's a new product that uses flywheel technology to allow higher velocity eccentric overload. So I saw the K-Box for the first time when Mike Young from the US brought a couple over for one of his workshops in Gloucester. So off the back of that, I was really keen to use one and I actually got my hands on one and was able to spend a couple of hours playing around with lots of different exercises and getting used to the K-Box. So from personal experience, getting out of the bottom of the squat, powering up and having the K-Box pull you through the floor on the way down is absolutely incredible. So basically, the harder you go on the concentric portion of the lift, the more it's going to give you on the eccentric. So if you're going to go for it, you're going to get pulled through the floor. At simplyfaster.com, there's also a great blog from Frederick, who is one of the co-owners of Eccentric, so you can learn more about the K-Box there. So if you are interested in getting a K-Box, get to simplyfaster.com, so that's S-I-M-P-L-I, faster.com, and get a K-Box for yourself. So today we've got Johnny Northeast on who is Head of Sports Science at Swansea City Football Club. So as I mentioned in the episode, I think it's the fifth or sixth guy that has come around from the meetings in Seattle at the uh, Seattle Sounders Sports Science Conference in the summer. So it's great to catch up with Johnny again because we had a really good chat in Seattle, but again, not enough time to uh, to get into the nuts and bolts of things. So I had to get him on the podcast to to discuss everything else and, and what he's currently been what he's, what he's currently doing. So there's a great article in the Guardian which highlighted the great work that Johnny's doing at, at Swansea City. So that I've put a link on the website at paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 53. So you can check that article out. It goes into a lot of what we discussed in the podcast. So with regards to pre-season and recovery. So one cool thing that I've got to offer you today is Kia Wenham Flat, who is the, the head strength coach at Argentinian, Argentinian Rugby Union. He's coming to the UK to do some seminars, well, two seminars, one in Belfast and one in Harbury in Gloucestershire. So I've got some discount codes for listeners. So if you do want to go to Belfast and, and listen to Kia speak for the weekend, you can put in Pacey1 in ch- when you check out um, at, at his seminar page, which will be at rugbystrengthcoach.com. If you do want to go to Hartbury in Gloucestershire, you can put in Pacey2 and that will give you the discount there. So it'll be a really good weekend with Kia. Uh, I think it's 10 till 6, both Saturday and Sunday, with uh, with an evening social on the, on the Saturday night. So I've heard him speak before and listened to his podcast, spoke to him in person. Great guy, and he's got so much to share, and I'm really glad he's kind of putting himself out there um, and, uh, and and teaching people. And so that'll be that'll be great. So get on it, and there's discount codes which you can which you can take advantage of. Um, so thanks to Kia for providing you listeners with that. 
And don't forget, you can also book onto the Pacey Performance webinar series with Dan Baker. So that is now on Saturday the 10th of October at 10 a.m. Uh, British summer time. So a little bit of a, a situation with, uh, with Dan and a little bit of traveling that he's got to do extra. So that's the reason for the change of date. But if you go to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash Dan Baker, you can book on there. And I've seen some of the slides and spoke to Dan this morning and it's gonna be a really good event, um, even though we have had to change the date. So get over to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash Dan Baker. So back onto the episode with Johnny, we discuss uh, CPD for coaches, obviously a big topic for us too, because we met out in Seattle. Uh, his current role with Swansea and the whale, um, the whale squad. We discuss planning pre-season, which ties in nicely with the, the article from The Guardian. We discuss recovery methods, uh, warm-ups for football, and difference between working with under-21s and first-team players. So I hope you enjoy the chat with Johnny. I'd love to hear your feedback. We both love to hear your feedback on, uh, on this episode. So drop us a message on Twitter at PaceyPerform. Or for Johnny, it's J underscore Northeast on Twitter. So I hope you enjoy the chat with Johnny and I will speak to you soon. Hi guys, welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got Johnny Northeast, who is the head of sports science at Swansea City Football Club. So again, I think for the maybe fourth or fifth time, piggybacking on uh, contacts made in Seattle. Obviously, Johnny was out there and we had a good chat out there, so I had to get him on the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Johnny. Hi, Rob. Thanks for getting me on board. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. So do you want to just give us a bit of an introduction on your your background, your education and what you're currently doing? So started off, left college, didn't really have a career path that I wanted to follow, but so I got an option opportunity to sort of take on board an apprenticeship in personal training so I did that worked in the local gym for a year realized I wanted to do it but I didn't really want to work in a gym so I had, did a bit of research around found out there was a sort of course down in Newark which is now Cardiff Met now um, doing sports conditioning rehab and massage so I did that for three years now um, in the third year of that had had the opportunity to take on a hundred hours work experience. Now they laid on a few sort of internships that we could take on board. One of them was with the Swans. Um, so I took on board that for a hundred hours. Great opportunity for me to do that really. So um, I learned a hell of a lot in that hundred hours, more than what probably I did in the whole course of at university. That's not to say that university was a waste of time. It's just putting up the practical elements to what we learned in the textbook really. Um, but that was only part-time, so I realised I needed to get more embedded in the culture. So I took on board a full-time internship the year after that with the Swans, um, working every day, working under Ryder Morgans at the time, who's now at Liverpool. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, value for money, I'd recommend it to anyone. After that, got offered the opportunity to be under-21's development team head sports scientist, so I did that for two years. Um, whilst doing that, I got very close with Gary, who's now the first team manager. But when he took over the, the helm of the first team, he asked me, did I want to get involved and take over the first team, which I jumped at the chance, um, which is where I'm at today, really. Um, 
whilst doing that, sort of still doing my master's at the moment in sports science down at Swansea University, um, with the main emphasis on looking at speed and agility in soccer players. So that's where I'm at today, really. So you said you said you got close with um, with Gary Monk. What did he did he get an interest in sports science? How did that kind of relationship uh, come about? Well, when I was doing obviously I worked with him when I was doing my internship for that that year when we first reached the premiership so I, I sort of had a sort of relationship from him from that um but then he was doing his coaching badges at the time so there's a lot of elements especially in the FAW of the sports science side of it so they have to answer a few questions relating back to the methodology on pitch sizes and areas and durations so we used to sit down quite a bit and talk through that and that's where we sort of built that link up together really cool so what's it what's it like as a as a first team manager at the minute? Still into his well into his sports science? Yeah, for, for me it's it's a perfect coach to work with at the moment, just purely because he's very forward thinking. He gives me the role and responsibilities to be able to do what I need to do, respects sports science, um, and allows us to sort of bring in new ideas and try new ideas out and also respects what we're trying to do on a day-to-day basis, whether it be for the GPS or any gym-based activities. Um, he takes a full um, notice on what we're doing and tries to take that on board with everything he does as well. So you got involved with um, with Wales recently. So what, what age groups was that with and how did that come about? Um, so it's very fortunate. I had a conversation with um, one of the intermediate managers who was down at the training ground um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, He's said about needing the on the nineteen sports scientists for the one of the week camps coming up last week. So um, I just sort of jumped at the chance to get involved with that. Um, had a week away last week with the nineteens against Poland, so it was a very uh, good insightful week working at international level. Cool, sounds good. So is that is that becoming full time or is that still a kind of a, a part time role? It's a part-time role at the moment, so it's a friendly that we had last week, so hopefully it progresses into something more full-time, but I'll find out in the near future. Really, so cool. Cool. So just with regards to um, international football, you're obviously quite relatively new into it, but hopefully moving forward into it as well. So with the, with the managing a training week when players are on international duty, how are you as a as a sports scientist managing them lads all, coming from all different parts of the country um, into one place all at different maybe at different points in the fitness how are you managing that training week building up to a building up to a match I think the biggest thing is obviously you've got to get do your research you've got to look at what the players have done ask the questions before they reach the camp or what they've done building up to the camp um, so you've got obviously like you mentioned you've got players at different fitness levels especially at a younger age group. Do they have under-21s? Do they have an under-19 side in their academies? Um, so some, some of the kids haven't played games for since pre-season. So it's important to do your research on where they are, the fitness levels, building up to that. And also you've got to respect the fact that they're not your players. Um, they're still, they belong to their parent clubs. So we've got to respect what they do at their clubs and try and bring that into the same culture that we are trying to achieve. So, um, reaching out to their clubs, speaking to their fitness coaches, any programs that they can do and bring them on camp with them. Um, so they're not disregarding the things that they do on a day-to-day basis away with them, but then also trying to fit that into the program that obviously the international manager they're trying to do on a week-to-week basis. But on the main on the mainstay, we're not trying to 
improve fitness during that week is a maintenance week of just trying to get through to the game or one piece about trying to integrate what they do on their week-to-week basis away with their own clubs. So when you mention about bringing their program over to you guys, is that regards to what they do kind of pre-training, post-training? Yeah, massively. So obviously each player comes with their own injury history, their own training ages. Um, so it's important that we try to give them some consistency in their in their programs. So a lot of them will come to the camp with their own pre-activation exercises. They'll have their some of them will have their own gym exercises, their own recovery strategies in place. So it's important we're trying to give them that, that consistency that, and that we carry across what they do in their clubs with the international stage. Because like we said, they're not our players at the end of the day. So you have to respect what they do on a week to week basis with their own clubs and try and carry that on board with us just so we get the continuity on board with the players. Mm-hmm. So how much, how much um, contact are you having with their respective sports scientists at their parent clubs? Are you doing again, going through that research process with them? Yes. Yeah, so with all the contacts we've got on board, we try to reach out to the sports scientists at least a week in advance, depending on when we get the um, the squad list through. So as soon as we get that squad list through, we reach out to the sports scientists, try and get some sort of training mode history for the two weeks prior to the camp. And then obviously any pre-activation, post-training, any flexibility mobility programs, any weights programs they may have, we try to get a little profile together of all the players that come on board and try and slot them into the schedule for the week so that they can continue their programs with us and go back to their clubs in the same shape that they arrived us with us in with us with. So, so as a as a as a head of sports science at a club, when maybe you get contact from the English guys or various other countries that are coming to your club to take your players to their to their respective countries. What kind of information are you, what other information are you passing on to them to make sure your players are looked after? Um, as much information as you can. So from my side, of it, I'll, I'll give across anything I can in terms of training mode. So GPS metrics, anything that we deem necessary for them to see. Obviously we can give away everything that we do, but we give away the main metrics that we deem appropriate for them to find out. Um, we'll give away the playing playing minutes they would have done over the last few weeks, Um, any pre-activation work from my side, weights programs if they can do, obviously schedules determine whether they can or can't do that. Um, And that's the main bulk of what we'll give across from our side and then obviously the physio will give across their their side of it, their injury prevention work, um, any injury history over the last couple of weeks leading up to the camp. So. We, we're, we're fairly close in terms of our multidisciplinary team. We're quite close. We talk together. We pass across the information. We, we try and give across as much as we can to put a big picture on our players so our players don't go away for the week and come back in a worse shape than what they've gone away with. So you had a bit of, um, a bit of good publicity over the summer with regards to your, your pre-season. So I'd just like to uh, discuss a little bit about how you'd – how you go about formulating a plan for pre-season, who's involved, where do you start, and how do you kind of build that picture? Yeah, so for us, pre-season started fairly early this year in terms of planning-wise. We um, we started planning around February time. So um, we had a bit of a picture of where we were going to go um, in terms of tours. Um, 
and I was sent out to a couple of places to do a recce, if you like, on, on the training facilities. So I was, Gary sent me out to um, a couple of places to have a look at the facilities, see if they were acceptable for us to train there or not. Um, obviously feed that back to the manager. And once we had that in place, then there's a lot of talk between myself and the coaching staff in terms of their game model, if you like. So Gary and the coaches have a particular way of how they want the team to play. Um, I think that's necessary, that's important for you to get grips of what they want to do with the team. Um, if they want to play a high press and style, if they want to be a counter-attacking team, that's important to how we go and condition the players. Um, so Gary, once we sat down and had the conversations of that, it was in, we went away, we planned pre-season in terms from, from start to finish. Uh, that's not to say once we planned this, that was how the preseason went because once we did the preseason testing, if you like, we, we highlighted weaknesses in the squad and what we need to train to get the best out of the players. Um, so we had our structure in place approaching preseason, but once we done the first two days of testing, if you like, we had to change our plans just slightly to to adhere to what we found in our testing protocols, which I think is important because I think if you go. Uh, a lot of the time people do their testing days and they don't really act upon their testing. Um, what we found is there was a, a weakness in our squad and we focused solely on that weakness to get the best out of the players after the end of pre-season. You might not be able to answer this. You might be able to answer in more of a kind of a general sense. But when you say um, the lads are coming back and doing a testing, doing the testing that you're talking about, what what kind of things are you looking for as a as a sports scientist that may then guide your preseason? Yeah, so obviously you do that your basic test, your VO2 max test. We we're quite fortunate we have a close relationship with the, the local university in Swansea, so um we've done a lot of testing down there. So we've done a speed, agility tests, um, and we've done a lot of strength profiling tests. So we did um a few of our, our jump tests. We've done our isometric mid-thigh pull test. And a lot of that sort of highlighted weaknesses within our squad. We found out where our strengths were. We found out where our weaknesses were. And it was important for us to focus on those weaknesses to get the best out towards that game model of what Gary was talking about at the start of pre-season period. Um, so once we got that in place, we had we had then sat down after straight after testing re-evaluated where our plans were for pre-season and then moved, progressed it forward. But like I said, with Gary being a very forward-thinking manager, he understands the process of how important sports science can be to pre-season. So he allowed us really that first week to build the players up. So each day had a different stimulus for the days. So we, we never really chucked the players in at the deep end. We did build them up through that first week to work on through XLs, D-cells, change of direction max speeds and then once we did that process we then hand them over to the coaches then to, into to full training so you just want to talk us through that that first week of training because it may it, it, hopefully it may be similar to what people are, are hearing elsewhere but then again it might be a little bit different so just want to talk us through that first week yeah so the first week for us we had two days of testing if you like so we had one day of testing with the medical staff where they ran through them msk testing um, and they passed over us to us on the second day when we done our VO2 tests and we done our strength tests. And then after that, we had a one day where we were just doing straight line running. Um, we did 
obviously it's important for us to get the balls out from day one. So at the end of the day, they're footballers. They're not uh, long distance runners. And I don't think you'll ever find a, a, a tree on a football pitch. So it's important to get the balls out from day one just to allow the players to feel that they're back in training. Um, so everything we did was just straight line running for the first day uh, with, with balls as much as we can. The second day we went into a bit of change of direction, again implementing the balls where we can as much as possible. Um, third day, X cells, D cells, and then on the fourth day, um, some max speed work, and then back into the training after that. So we're kind of fortunate in the fact that the coaching staff allow us to have that time with the players to build them up, but I think it's crucial that you build them up slowly through that first week because you don't want to break them down in that first week. And if you've got no players to train, you're not going to get players fit. So I think you've got to get the players as fit as possible in that first week by building them up slowly um, where coaches allow you to do it. So, so when you talk about the kind of change direction stuff that you um, that you did, I think maybe you said day three, day two or day three. How do you how do you present that to the players? Is that in the form of uh, like small sided game? Is that a very closed drill? What's that look like? Obviously, you have your um, you have your physical element. So they do their sort of running element for me beforehand, and then they'll start you start integrating them into just a basic possession. After that, um, obviously that possession builds up through the week. So you won't get them to chuck them straight into a small-sided game because the demands of the small-sided game is going to be a lot more than it would on, on a basic possession. So starting off with a basic possession and building them up through the week in, into that small-sided game at the end of the week once they've sort of coped with the demands of a small, side, of a small possession first. Um, but then presenting to the players, um, Gary was very fortunate. Well, Gary was good in allowing me to present to the boys on a daily basis before training and um, so every day had an emphasis players were all giving targets on that day and fed back the gps from the previous day so we kind of created that accountable culture within within, within the group so players can then look at their teammates whether they're pulling their weight whether they're not pulling their weight and then sort of start to rely on them once it comes to game day from there so Presenting data to players, what kind of, I know you mentioned GPS there, what kind of uh, metrics are you feeding back to the players and how are you presenting it pre-training? Yeah, so every morning before training, we'd have a sort of 15, 20 minute presentation with the boys. Um, so depending on what the emphasis of the day before was, would depend on the feedback we would give to the boys. Um, so if it was change of direction work, you're sort of looking more at player loading if you're looking at XLD cells, you're looking at the XLD cells and the GPS. Um, so it depends on the, the emphasis of the day before. Um, depends on what the feedback we gave them. But I think it's crucial in terms of the player buy-in to engage them with, by feeding back to them. Because we spend a lot of time and rely a lot of time on players to give us feedback and give them GPS units to wear. But if they don't wear, if they don't get the feedback from it, they're not going to buy into it. So... I think a lot of the time is giving them back and we still do it to this day. We mean we don't do the presentations every day on a daily basis in season, but we'll feed back on a day-to-day -day basis on, on the GPS on what they've hit and where they've hit in relation to their targets as well. So, um, And I think it creates that competitive culture within the group is what we're trying to take to, to achieve really. Um, at the end of the day, they're all footballers. They're all there for a reason. They're all competitors. So they want to see themselves beating and the man next to them. So, any chance we can create that creative culture, that competitive culture in in the in the team, the best or better for the team, really.
So what at what point does at what point in the in the whole of preseason and at what point in the week does strength and power fit into your your plan? And are you still trying to create that competitiveness within that environment as well as out on the pitch with the with the GPS? Yeah, so obviously I mentioned we did the strength profiling test for the boys in the second day of preseason. So what that allowed us to do was to highlight individualized training programs for the boys and where they needed to work on. So um, we, I mentioned we did the isometric mid-thigh pull. So from that, we managed to gauge a real sense of which route we need to go with each player, where they need to work on strength, power, rate, force development. So as soon as we got that feedback, we tried to integrate that as much as we can into the group from day one. Um, ultimately, obviously, you have to take into account on the players and their training history and their training age. We try not to include that competitive element such early on in preseason, but once they get used to the lifts and they become more competent at the technical competencies of the lifts, then we can start integrating those uh, competitions into the training session. So how, when the, when the lads come back from preseason, how are you, um, how are they, are they, have they done a lot of work over the summer with regards to the, the strength and power work? Is it a lot of maintenance work? What kind of things are you giving them to allow them to build up? And on that second day of testing, be ready to do all that, that strength profile that you talk about? Yes, so they've all got their individualised training programs going away for the off-season. So we try and give them about two weeks of the transition phase where it's complete rest, shut the body down recoup, regenerate and then ready to go again and, and build them up to the pre-season then. So after they've had that two weeks phase, then we start to build them up for the season. So I think that's just as important as your pre-season is that off-season where you're building them up ready to start the pre-season. Um, they need to be at appropriate level ready to start on that day one really. So we, we've highlighted where they needed to work on. We sat down one-to-one -one with the boys at the end of the season. We sort of came to a bit of a sort of a mutual feedback really. They spent to back to us what they felt they needed to improve on. We said to them what they felt they we need them to improve on ourselves from the outside looking in. And then we came together with a training programme. So I think it's important they need to have a say in, in what they're doing as well. I think you've got to build up trust up with the players. Um so they can they see that you're listening to them, but then you're you're also giving them some empowering the players to think that they're making the right decisions at the same time rather than it's the whole, I'm telling them what to do the whole time. They need to have some sort of, even though you might be pushing them towards that way where you're making the decision, you make them feel that they've made the decision themselves. I think it's vital for the fact for them to buy in and to adhere to the programs that you give them in the off-season. So after that, I suspect you mid-thigh pull, you're guiding each group of players down a certain route. So there's a number of different programs based off that test yeah that test along with the counter jumps uh, single leg jumps and drop jumps as well so we've done a whole whole batch of tests if you like uh, we've got a full picture on the players like a strength profile for every player that we've got and then from that we try to i mean it's hard to individualize for a team of 30 but you can get them into stations in, within the gym to work on their own sort of programs you can mod modify the loads the reps sets um, and the lifts depending on where they need to go but we tend to work in small groups in the gym so we get the best out of them and make sure it's individualized to them and obviously if they see it's individualized they like it because it's, it's 
purely to them. There's that culture where it's all about them. So if we make things for them, they're going to buy into it a lot more. So obviously pre-season is a, a time where obviously training load is very high. How are you... What? How are you implementing recovery methods, and what kind of recovery methods are you um, are you giving the lads post training, post games? Yeah, so obviously we had a bit of a press from the, the snooze boxes that we put onto yeah. the training this preseason. I mean, we kind of stumbled across that this preseason. If I'm honest with you, we were supposed to have a we normally have a two three week tour camp, if you like, away from the training ground. Um, we didn't have that this year, so we only had a week away. But it was, what we find is we normally go away for that first two weeks where the volume's high, so we can monitor the whole the whole picture, if you like. We can modify the food, their sleep, make sure they go back to the hotel during the days when we're training double sessions. But because we were at the training ground, we didn't have that that benefit, if you like. So what we tried to do, we stumbled across it on the internet, and I said to mention it to the manager. Right, we've got this option. There's this option we could do this, and we managed to bring it in board. Worked out fairly well for us because they never worked in the, in sport before. So um, it worked out like a mutual agreement that we managed to get them on board with us. So that was the main main one, if you like. That's the one that created the headlines that we got the snooze boxes on on board. So made made sure players were training in the morning, gave them enough time in between sessions where they could go and utilize the snooze boxes get their afternoon nap between training and then come back for the afternoon session. Uh, we're fairly lucky we managed to build up a, a good working relationship with PASS. So um, that's a, a little link to them really. So they worked very closely with us this pre-season, making sure that every player's got appropriate supplementation where they need it. So working closely with a doctor, any deficiencies players may have in certain aspects, we make sure that they're getting appropriate uh, recovery strategies to what that they need post training, um, and those those are the two main ones. If you like during preseason, sleep and nutrition, that's the one we we make sure we get that those those right. I think because they underpin everything you're trying to do um, during preseason. I think it's it's risky when you talk about recovery strategies too much because you also want the adaptations to occur. Um, if you're given too much recovery post training between sessions I think you could also you're going to stop that adaptation happening which is what you're going to reap the benefits from over the pre-season if you like um, so things like ice baths and massages we try to limit as much as we can during that early stages of pre-season because we're trying to load those muscles and those tendons to deal with the demands of match play um, but from from the main two nutrition and sleep for us are the main ones and there's the ones we we adhere to throughout the whole season if you like so just going back from my um experience playing days you get you get a couple of guys i'm sure you've, you've got on your team who who are religiously in the ice bath after every single training session every single game and that's just what they do so how are you kind of guiding them to maybe stay away from it how are you educating these guys to to the, to the benefits of not doing something that they think is the best thing to do? Wherever you work in whatever, whatever sport, whatever industry, you're going to have uh, people with routines of what they've always done in their, in their lives, in their careers. So that's always going to be a factor you're going to have to, to sort of work around. So we spend most of, 
most of my job, if you like, is educating them to make the right decisions, whether it be on the training field, whether it be in the gym, whether it be in their lifestyles. Um, so as much of my job is just educating the boys to try and make the right decisions. I mean, they might still go and do it, but as long as we've given them the tools to say, right, this may not be the best for you, then try this instead. We always give them an alternative to try and try and work out. If they don't like it, they don't like it. But at least we've sort of tried to show them another aspect that's going to benefit them. Another one that's worked massively for us is the use of the iPads. Um, so myself, the physios, our psychologists, like we, we religiously put presentations onto their iPads. So whether they're bored at night, they can look on, onto their apps and their iPads and have a look and see if there's a new presentation up and try and educate them that way. I think as long as they can see what they're going to get out of doing something, then they'll try it. I think that's the biggest thing. As long as they know there's evidence out there to say this works, they're going to try it. If there's no evidence behind it and it's just a, a gadget or a whim, then they're not going to try it at all. Um, we tried cryotherapy over the Christmas period last last year. Um, trying to get the players in that was a big, big issue at first, just purely because they don't like the cold. Um, <laughs> So what we did, we, we did a presentation. We, we, we brought in two things during that phase. We brought in passive heat maintenance and the cryotherapy presentation, showed the research behind it, what it's going to do, how it helps, how it can help performance, how it can help recovery. And I think once they see that in front of them, they can make the choice themselves. If they want to do it, they'll do it. If they don't want to do it, they won't do it. But if there's someone that says, to them, right, if you do this, you're going to perform better on a match day, I think they're more than likely going to make that decision, the right decision. So when you mention about them, them presentations that are available on their iPads, are you somehow monitoring who's watching them or is it just there? If they want it, great. If it's if they don't, that's not a problem? Um, yeah, we are monitoring it. So we're fortunate we've got someone on that works that's very good and handy with computers. So he's created to sort of, a program for us, if you like, that helps us to monitor the players looking at their iPads. And also we can sort of test them when we speak to them on a day-to-day basis as well. I think that's vital. You've got to speak to the players. They're human beings. They just create that culture where you talk to them and just bring it up. Have you looked at your iPads recently? And if they say yes or no, or you know whether they looked at it or not just by just purely by speaking to them. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously a big thing that... You- only from my, my limited experience, but it's a big thing to create that culture that ob- obviously must come from the manager and that's something that's developed over time rather than just, okay, here's an iPad, here's a, a presentation, off you go. That's something that's, like I say, developed over time. Yeah, I think, um, well, we had that bedding in period where Gary took over in February and we had that, we worked for six months and then once pre-season came for the first full year, there we started day one with this is the culture this is how we're going to work um the first day of pre-season everyone got handed their ipads um and this is and that's it was set from then really obviously like you mentioned you're going to have to have the manager setting the culture and we're very fortunate that he set the culture and this is how it works everyone who brings ideas to the table every member of staff will have a sort of a responsibility if you like to make sure that happens um within the squad so the culture's embedded, everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet. There's not one member of staff that wants to do something different. We're all sort of 
seeing on the same hymn sheet and working towards the same goals. We've got a young group of staff that work with us. Everyone's motivated to want to achieve the best, um, which I think is key. Everyone sort of devotes their lives to the cause, if you like. We spend 10 months of the year with everyone. So I think it's key that everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet to create that culture. There's no one saying different words to another person within the camp. Cool. So just going back to the um, the snooze box and the uh, and the nutrition side of things. So you you provide this snooze box. Are you actually monitoring the how well they're sleeping, how long it is, the quality, and the nutrition side of things? How are you getting that information with regards to deficiencies? Are you doing blood tests? Two questions. Yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, the first day of preseason was uh, the medical tests so the blood tests were happening. So sitting down and speaking to the doctor about that side of it. You mentioned where we need to work with certain players, what players need to do with their diets and make sure, and again, appropriate nutrition on board. Um, with the sleep side of it, when we had the, sleep, the snooze boxes on, on site, we didn't monitor sleep so much, if you like, just give them the opportunity to go and rest within the between sessions. But during the season, one thing we massively adhere to is making sure the players sleep particularly the night before a game um, so we monitor sleep that way so we make sure every player wears a, a wristband an activity band before they go to bed especially on away games and home games like we monitor every day before a game um, to make sure that players are getting the appropriate amount of rest leading up to that game um, and that's throughout the season especially areas of fixture congestion we'll make sure they're aware for long periods of time so Christmas, they might wear it for the whole month. We're just getting a day-to-day basis on how much they're sleeping because it's important to their recovery. If they're not sleeping, right, they're not going to get the appropriate recovery. And then on top of that, we modify training depending on, on to allow them to get the most sleep as possible. So if we're traveling late overnight, coming back from a game, we'll modify training to make sure it starts later the next day so that players are getting the appropriate amount of sleep. So we we sing off the same hymn sheet. We'll try to allow players to get as much sleep as possible and plus monitor at the same time. So it's a huge part of what we do. Like I said, nutrition and sleep are vital to everything. It underpins the training that we work on. Mm, cool. So the activity band, what what brand is that? And what other data is it giving you apart from uh, the time they're in bed? Yeah, so we, we decided to go down the route of using Fitbits um, just purely because players like to see what they're wearing, if that makes sense. Obviously, we, we tried other brands out. Um, there's a few brands where they had to, to wear it for a week before you could get feedback. And then, obviously, players, they're wearing it, but they're not getting anything back on it on a day-to-day basis. So we went with Fitbit just purely because they can look at it on their own iPhones, on their iPads. So they go into bed, they're sleeping. You're just creating that creative, that competitive culture from that alone. Players are looking at their, their phone and saying, oh, I've had nine hours sleep. And they're looking at the next man next to them saying, oh, I'll have more sleep than you. So it becomes a bit of a competitive culture on that as well, if that makes sense. So we just that's the reason why I went with Fitbit, just purely because players can see themselves on a day-to-day basis. They've had enough sleep or they've not had enough sleep, how intermittent their sleep was. Um, or whether they slept right through um, and then we can act on it on, a, on that point as well so they just come back and feed it to us on a day-to-day basis when they enter the training ground and then if they haven't enough sleep 
can we give them any supplementation to then help um, and get them through that day of training or that game for that day? So obviously sleep depth is going to be a massive part of acting going forward in their recovery stages as well. So with this, all this kit that, that is available to, to you guys to provide the players, obviously we talked a little bit about culture and uh, you know a little period at the start that's you know getting the lads used to the things that they're doing, but how are they reacting to taking things home to where that then you can see the day after? Um, obviously, like you said, mentioned, the first few days when they're doing it, the first few times they do it, it's a bit of a big brother's watching me type thing. So we're spying on them. But it's purely for their benefit. It's not for our benefit. It's for their benefit to make sure they perform on the weekend. So we don't do it just to be annoying. And it's not actually gadget. It's because there's evidence behind what we're doing. Once they see the benefit of it, we can show them how we're acting on it. We don't do anything about about it wearing it then what's the point of them doing it so if they haven't slept enough we'll always make sure they get a supplementation the next morning to try and help combat that if they um if they've slept too much or whatever we'll, we'll always act on what the feedback they give us so they they can see that we're doing something with it i think that's crucial if we don't do anything with it say right take a sleep band home with you tonight and then tomorrow morning we don't ask them about it then they're not going to do it but if we go and ask them the next day create that again that communication what do you do before bed why did you sleep did you have something on your mind were you stressed becomes part of that sort of wellness questionnaire sort of readiness to train type conversation as well it just comes part of the conversation um and then obviously once they start seeing the results happening and they're performing better on the weekend that's your biggest buy-in tool i think when you start pre-season and it's grinding on you um, so you've got the snooze boxes on, you've got the the nutrition on, you've got the Fitbit ready bands. Once this all comes together as that layering effect and then they, they get the result on the weekend, then it starts to sort of add up and they say, right, it's working, we'll, we'll carry on doing it. I think that's the biggest thing. If they see a result at the end of the end of it all, then they'll carry on to do it on doing it. If they don't see the result, then they're not going to do it at all. So last but not least, I just wanted to touch on, obviously you're just going back to the introduction, your, your progression from under 21 to first team. How does working with that group of players differ from working with first team in regards to schedule management? Um, just with regards to kind of building relationships within them, within that group or the two different groups? Yeah, um, I think the main one, first Results matter massively at first team, so um, you can't afford to get wrong. Uh, training loads need to be 100% accurate, needs to turn every stone over to make sure you get the best out of your players on the weekend. Um, when it comes to 21s, a lot of your emphasis is on making sure you're developing the player for the future, so you're more worried about um, increasing the speed, um, range of motion. Uh, improving strength, power, so they become that finished article at the end. Whereas if you, it's almost you buy the player at first team, they're already the player, so you need to maintain them and improve them where you can. Um, 21s, you're trying to still get them to become that player. Um, so you've got a lot more time on the training field with the 21s. Um, with the first team, it's more 
it's more rigid in terms of the training sessions. They're, they're short, they're sharp, they're intense. Make sure the players get their conditioning hits on appropriate days. Um, make sure the training sessions don't overlock, overgo in time. Um, and you don't have as much time with the players to do what you like when players are in and out of the training ground between 9 and 12 o'clock, whereas for the 21s, you can have them in the, from 9 to 5 if you like. What you say goes. Um, once they're first team players, they become, they can do they're the, the powers in their hands if you like. So if they want to become stronger, uh, stronger athletes, they'll go in the gym themselves, whereas 21s, it becomes part of their day-to-day routine if you like. Cool. So I know I said last but not least, I've got another one. Um, obviously, we, we met over in Seattle. Why did you Why did you choose to go there? What do you think it offered you that maybe other things didn't? And it's obviously a long way to go just for a conference. And in the future, if you were going to do a similar thing, what would you be looking for for a, a good kind of annual CPD event? Yeah, so um, obviously I met you out in Seattle as well. Um, and then obviously, I spoke to Reese, you've had on the podcast before. We used to work with him down at Swans when we did the internship together. So he had very good words to say about the conference. Um, so it was interesting to go across to America to see how things had done over there. If you like, you, you speak about the culture of the American lifestyle, they're far more outgoing, um, they're far open in terms of what they do. So it was interesting to see how it's done over there, how they approach each session. Um, with their lifestyles as well so everything they do over there is on a far bigger grander scale compared to ours if you like you look at their, their fans especially with the NFL starting tonight as well it becomes it's more of a showcase so it's important. it was great to see how things are done in a different in a different culture if you like um, I've been to a few courses over here and it's no, nothing against how we do things we just I think we're very enclosed about what we do everyone tries to things they everyone's um keeps things to themselves rather i think we need to be a bit more open with what we do i mean if you've got the golden ticket you'd be a multi-million multi-millionaire at the moment because um everyone would want it but how i do a coaching draw might be different to how you do a coaching draw so um it's different if you are open with your ideas i think it's vitally important to 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 learn it, if you like, um, and get them moving forward. Last but not least, again, for the third time, any, any resources that you, any books that you're reading that you'd kind of recommend any sites, obviously apart from the podcast, but we'll, we'll kind of brush past that. That's just a given, um, any books or anything that you're reading at the minute? Um, yeah. So alongside doing my, uh, my MRes at the moment, Obviously, um, Exos is one I'm doing at the moment. I recommend that one as well. Um, the performance certification, um, very good course. Just the whole methodology and, it, and the whole outcome, if you like, is the, the finished article, I think. Um, the way it's done online, you can either do your mentorship for a week or do it online, but I'm currently doing that online at the moment, so I think that's a very worthwhile course to do. Um, so where can uh, where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on personally? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, so uh, mainly use Twitter really. So it's uh, J underscore Northeast is in the direction. Um, 
and that's where I'm mostly on. I'm willing to give out my email address if they send me a direct message and open to ideas because I like to talk to people and find out what other people are doing as well. Like I said, I like to be open with people. So they're open with me, exchange ideas, get networking from there, really. Cool. Happy days. Well, thanks for your time. Are you staying up for the uh, NFL, like you say? Yeah, I'll try to stay up um, and see how I get on, really. But I've got a long work and travel, so. Well, um, like I say, thank you for your time. Um, and I'll put all the links to the things that you mentioned uh, on the site so people can get in touch um, and see the, the, the kind of things you've been talking about. So thanks a lot. We'll keep in touch and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you. See you, pal. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to episode 53 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Johnny. Like I said at the start, we'd really appreciate your feedback on this episode, both myself and Johnny would. Uh, so if you want to drop us a message on Twitter, I'm at Pacey Perform and Johnny's at J underscore Northeast. Don't forget to get involved with discount code that I provided at the start. So if you want to go to Belfast and listen to Kia for the weekend, it's Pacey1 at checkout. And if you want to go to Hartbury in Gloucestershire, you can put Pacey2 and that will give you a discount. Both available at rugbystrengthcoach.com. And don't forget the Dan Baker webinar, which is at sat on Saturday, the 10th of October. Go to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash Dan Baker. And I will speak to you in episode 54.